Our passage this week brought to mind a parable Jesus told found in Luke 11. It's about persistence in prayer. You know it. Here is the main gist. You have a friend who has arrived at midnight and you don't have any food to give him. So you go to another friend's house and knock on the door, telling them of your dilemma. This friend who you ostensibly have awakened says, don't bother me, I'm in bed, my whole family's in bed, I can't help you. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if you are persistent, your friend will get out of bed and give you what you need. And then Jesus says, Keep asking and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus says, if your child asks you for something good, would you give them something to harm them? No. So how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Remember, Jesus doesn't say, how much more will the Holy Spirit give you what you want? No. Jesus says, how much more the Holy Spirit, God will give you the Holy Spirit, you will, that's what you will receive. Now, this parable is an interesting one. When we read it, we are often troubled about how this is about never giving up on prayer, yet we picture God as the friend in the house who doesn't want to help us. Amen? It's ironic in a passage where Jesus specifically says how good God is, that one of our main takeaways is how he doesn't care enough about us to get up and open the door. So maybe Isaiah brought to mind, maybe we should think about it this way. The friend is a broken person, but even that person will get up and give you what you need. How much more will the Lord see you coming? Open the door with the light to nourish both you and the friend who is in need. So let's flip this parable around a little bit more and think about it in a different way. I want you to think about God who's banging on the door. Revelation says God knocks on the door of our heart and urges us to open it and let God in to allow Jesus to come and reside in our lives. Think about this story as God on the outside and you on the inside. God is knocking. And you say, what? Rubbing your eyes. Oh yeah, Lord, it's you, I'm tired. Can you come back tomorrow? I'm not really in a good place right now. The state of the world is so bad. I'm not in a, I'm, I wouldn't be good company. I'm so busy, Lord, you not believe all the things I have to do. I'm afraid to answer because I don't really know what you want. <laughs> Now, I'm not trying to induce guilt here. I'm trying to be honest about my own life and my own heart and my own response sometime to the Lord. And I merely pointed out that there are times that God shows up and we are not necessarily ready or at a place where we want to open the door to what it is that he is asking. The reality is that this parable Jesus taught teaches us how to be like God who's absolutely tenacious and diligent in his pursuit of all of humanity. Jesus is giving an important truth in this parable, that he is living out right in front of them. Why does God come to earth to seek and save the lost? Why does he die on the cross? 
to gather all people in great love to God. Why does the Holy Spirit get poured out on the church? So that we can live in the power of the Lord. The arc of God's story is a single-minded persistence of God reaching out, teaching truth, drawing close, loving humanity, giving power, and healing in an effort to bring God's kingdom to our lives now. This is incredible. How miraculous and extraordinary. God has things to say to you. God wants your attention and all of our devotion. And he is not going to stop pursuing you until the day you die. So I want you to keep this truth in mind from this parable as we read a short story, a short piece of a story from Isaiah 7. I'm going to explain a little bit more about what's going on. For now, all you need to know is that Ahaz is the king of Judah. Okay, repeat that after me. Ahaz is the king of Judah. Great. Isaiah 7, 10 through 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you would weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are now in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we praise you for who you are and how you speak truth and love to us. Enable us to listen well today and to act, God, according to your pursuit of us. Amen. Now, this is a historical portion of Isaiah, so let me give you a little idea about what's going on here. King Ahaz came to rule at age 20 after his father, Jotham, a godly man, died. Ahaz was the opposite of his father. He was influenced in not a good way by the people and the nations around him, and while he acknowledged God like, yes, I see you, you're there, he followed his own counsel. He worshipped many gods. He imitated pagan nations around him. He offered his own child as a human sacrifice. And in order to bow down to Assyria, he copied their temple by reconstructing the one designed to honor and worship the one true God, the God who installed him as king that he was supposed to be representing. In our passage today, we're in the middle of a sermon Isaiah is giving to King Ahaz. Remember that after King Solomon, God's people were split into two, Israel and Judah. Ahaz is the king of Judah. And what's happening is the king of Aram, which is Syria, and the king of Ephraim, which is Israel, are set to attack Judah that Ahaz rules. And they're doing so because they're afraid of Assyria, which is this big mega power 
because Assyria wants to control the entire region. And Judah is refusing to get into coalition with these two other nations. Ahaz does not want to do it. So they're like, fine, that doesn't matter. We'll take you by force. Now, earlier in the chapter, God tells Ahaz, be still. Be still. Do not worry about these two countries. Isaiah calls them smoldering stumps, meaning their fire has gone out. They will not hurt Ahaz. One professor calls them hot but harmless. I thought that was good. Now, God is not happy that Israel, which was once formally together with Judah, is now attacking basically their family. And Isaiah doesn't talk about how painful that is, but we could imagine that, that the people of God are at odds in such a way. And Ahaz is told to trust God alone. God will save Judah if Ahaz does what he is told. So I want to make some observations about this passage to encourage us and how it is that we understand our God who absolutely wants to show us the truth of who he is and how we are to live. This is a passage about trust. It's a passage about how we make our decisions and how those decisions affect not just us, but those that we lead. So our first observation is that God offers invitations to see signs and wonders. And what it says in verse 11, uh, 10 and 11, if you have your Bibles open, that Ahaz gets to choose a sign. God says, choose your sign. I want to help you. It can be as deep as Sheol, hell, or it can be as high as the heavens. There's no limit, God says, to what it is that I'm willing to show you. I want to show you that I'm here to help you. This is an incredible opportunity now, of course, God is offering this because it's important to God that the king of Judah trust Yahweh. So God is reaching out so that they will know that God will fight for them. God will save them. They just have to believe it. They have to work with him. Now, in the life of faith, when we stop and think about it, signs are curious things. We often long for a sign from God, don't we? I remember when I was a young uh, person in junior high and mature believers in the church would talk about putting a fleece before God, which is basically asking for God to show up in the manner that they wanted. I'm not making them wrong. I'm just saying that's what we do as humans. Like Gideon in the Old Testament, who asked that the Lord would soak a piece of wool so completely with dew with water overnight while keeping the ground around it dry as proof that God would give Gideon victory. So God does it, and the wool is soaked so much that you can wring out the water and the dry, the ground is dry. But just to be sure, just in case that wasn't enough, Gideon asks for another sign. Now it's interesting here in this passage that God is speaking to Ahaz. This is actually more than a sign, isn't it? God is right there. I was praying this week, Lord, that we would recognize your voice and be grateful for what you, Lord, offer us with humility and graciousness. How different our lives would be sometimes if we were content with what God offers us and gives us. If we would trust him fully when we are in need. 
When we pray, we often ask for the Spirit's presence and for guidance or clarity. But asking for a sign is another layer, isn't it? Another layer of assurance, which is one reason that Scripture says we shouldn't do it. But God is reaching out to us all the time through beauty and through people and through dreams and art and our own thoughts and experiences and culture and people. God always initiates first to us. Seeking God is never our idea. Even before we pray, even before we come to the Lord, the Spirit is prodding us to do that. We have freedom to choose to be in a relationship with Jesus, but that's because Jesus came first to live among us. Think of God's faithfulness and stability and joy and constancy and how that brings us great comfort and moves us to action to help others. So let's be people who choose to see God's signs around us all the time. We don't need to ask for special signs. God's love is around us all the time. And when we need guidance, may we seek the Lord directly. God wants us to trust him and believe that no matter what, we're going to be saved out of the dire circumstances that we can't see our way out of. God knows about the obstacles and the evil that we don't know how to ever overcome. And sometimes people ask for a sign out of doubt or cynicism. But if we are, we are genuinely going to seek the kingdom, as Jesus said, in this case, to ask for a sign would show a connection that Ahaz didn't have. God is offering to give Ahaz a sign because Ahaz isn't even asking for it. And God does that for us sometimes too. God reaches out and that helps build our faith. The second observation is how we respond to God's overtures matters. So Ahaz rejects the offer for a sign. Can you imagine? God shows up and says to you, hey, ask for anything. Ask for any sign you want that I am with you, that I'm going to help you out of this very difficult situation that you're in. And Ahaz is like, mm, no thanks. Nope, I got this. Now I think we understand that a little bit. Ahaz was his own brand of whatever against God. But it can feel scary. It can feel scary to be close to the Lord. Because once we know the Lord's will, we have to do something with it, like maybe change. We need to listen and decide how we're going to respond. We always say we want to know God. We want to know more about who God is. But some of us would do and have done what Ahaz is doing, refusing the offer of God's help. Because staying ignorant of God's will means not being obligated to submit to it. We're not dumb. But look at the passive-aggressive way that Ahaz responds to God. Ahaz declines, declines an offer from the Almighty by using the Torah as an excuse. I will not put the Lord to the test, he says. You understand what's happening here? The king is correcting God. The king, whose own moral rectitude is completely suspect, nowhere to be found, is correcting God. I read this week how Ahaz shrouds his unwillingness to trust by using a veil of piety. Yeah, because there's nothing underneath the disobedience. Here's another good quote from Dr. John Oswald. Piety 
is the appearance of religion, while trust in God is the substance of religion. That is so good. You see, Ahaz has no substance. So he tries to cover it with a veneer of appearing as though he does. Because God is inviting Ahaz to ask for a sign, saying no is then disobedient. Quoting the law to the one who made the law in order to not comply with the law is wrong. But the bigger deal, actually, that we learn in Kings and in Chronicles is how Ahaz is saying no to God because he's already given his allegiance to the king of Assyria, whom he has asked to come and rescue him from these other two kings who are trying to uh, capture him. Ahaz has sent silver and gold from the house of the Lord to Assyria. And he said to the king of Assyria, I am your servant. You are my Lord. Come and rescue me from these who are attacking me. That just makes me weep. Surely Ahaz knew that Yahweh was more powerful. But maybe he wanted something different, like being on the winning side. Now, Judah is a little fish, and he knows that Judah is going to get swallowed up. So he chooses the big bully nation to attach his country to, thinking that that will save him. A miscalculation. So then we have to ask ourselves, who are the big players in our lives that we look to for validation instead of God? Who do we go to when we're needy and we think that they're going to offer us what we need Maybe the ones we're afraid of, ooh, or admire greatly or hope to gain for in some way. See, we like to build alliances to think that we're not alone. And this is some kind of survival that we have learned along the way. But in our desire to be close to the strong and the powerful, we need to make sure that we don't sell our soul or get swallowed up completely or find ourselves in some kind of weirdo, unhealthy, symbiotic relationship where we're only feeding off one another, eventually killing each other. You see, this happens. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It happens in business and at church and at work and in families and friendship groups, anywhere where there are people. We can blame Assyria for being an evil overlord, but Ahaz is choosing to go along with them for his own gain. And so we always have to look at where we are seeking secondary gain as a compelling motivation to fill our own souls. The void that we so don't want to feel, the fear that we want to mask and get rid of. Ahaz misses this. Ahaz misses that this isn't about politics. This isn't about war. This is about eternity and faith in God. We also have to remember that this is a bigger deal because it's not just Ahaz. He's leading an entire country. Isaiah specifically uses the term house of David to refer to him when talking to him. Now, we know from reading Isaiah that the nation is complicit. There's not much worship of God going on. But this is a key moment for Judah to be helped. And it's missed because its leader is feeding his own ego. And as often the case, the people will pay 
with terrible ramifications for generations to come. Be careful where you lead. Be careful. Not just is there more accountability, but there are people whose lives are at stake. And leadership matters. And you could argue, people could argue that Ahaz really isn't a leader because he doesn't have a moral compass. I get that. And yet, all these people are being brought to a, a terrible thing because of what he's doing. Our last observation is that God does what God does. You can quote me. My pastor says God does what God does. People will be like, what does that mean? I don't know. King Ahaz said no to a sign, and God's response is surprising, not surprising, and classic. He gives Ahaz tangible proof that he is the great I am, and his purposes will not be thwarted. In other words, God is going to give a sign anyway. And before the sign is spelled out, Isaiah does, or Isaiah does tell Ahaz, oh, how weary the Lord is from those who respond poorly to him, as the king has just done. I mean, think about it. Have you ever offered somebody something really great? And they're like, no, no, thank you. That hurts. You're like, yeah, but uh, they're like, no, I got this, thanks. That's just a little bit of how God feels. God wants to give deliverance and put forth an opportunity for Ahaz and Judah to be saved. Not just from the two little countries, but from Assyria. God can do that. Maybe Ahaz doesn't believe that. But Ahaz thinks that he knows best. And it's tiresome to the Lord, Isaiah says. When we seek inferior help elsewhere, when God is holding out his hand to us. Now the sign is going to be a child born in the near future. And before this child is very old, but old enough to know the difference between good and evil, which we would say 12, right? It's 12 about the age of accountability. The two nations that are threatening the house of David will be gone. That's the message. God is going to offer that to Ahaz. That these two smaller nations are not going to be a threat to Judah. Before a child is born, a child is going to be born. You're going to, this is the sign. A child is going to be born. It's going to be named Emmanuel, and, which we know means God with us. Emmanuel can also be a prayer. God, please be with us. That's beautiful. In this chapter, children um, play kind of a key role from Science of God. You might want to read through chapter 7. In the immediate, the child is meant to show how God will keep the promise of help to Judah. Who is going to have this child? It's not clear. Isaiah's wife has a child in the next chapter. Maybe that's, maybe that's her. Maybe it's a child of Ahaz. Maybe it's a child of a different official. But Ahaz will know. Ahaz will see it. That's what God is saying. The point is really not the child, but what they represent, which is new life for a tired people. And the child is going to know the difference between good and evil, which you think Isaiah must be saying on purpose because the king himself doesn't seem to know the difference between good and evil, but this child will. And while Aram and Ephraim are dealt with. Assyria, who is not impressed by Judah's piddly little gifts and uh, fawning over uh, them, is soon going to be their overlord. That is what the last sentence means. Assyria is going to take them over. This is the consequence of Ahaz not listening to God. And we wonder what 
how Ahaz heard these words. Does he wonder, why are we talking about children? <laughs> Who is Emmanuel? How can a child, you know, bring security against the nation? Curds and honey are traditional for the poor, and so this child will be born of peasants. But when we read these words, we hear how Matthew reinterpreted them for us by the Spirit of the Lord, that this is Jesus. Matthew connects the dots for those who will come in the age of the Messiah. And then we think, Ahaz is not looking beyond what is right in front of him. And what is right in front of him is soon going to be gone. But Isaiah is given a vision for a few years hence and for 700 years later to show us a picture of the Messiah. And this is a reminder to us we have to look up. We have to look for eternity. We have to look and ask for God to show us who he is for what we cannot see, for a day that we will no longer be here or even be part of. Are we willing to follow a God who has never failed us to secure a future for those who come after us? That's what the king was supposed to do. That's what the people of God are supposed to do. So the sign of a child for Ahaz means the end of freedom for Judah. That's what the sign means. It is the end of freedom for them. But the sign of Mary's child means the beginning of freedom for the world. And Jesus' birth confirms the truth that Isaiah and all the prophets spoke about. And we can see how Ahaz's actions may have jeopardized the messianic wish that people had. But God does what God does and brings the hope in the fullness of time so that no matter what, we can know a God who is always with us. Now we're in a season where we celebrate the most important sign that God has ever given us, the resurrection. And we think about that, God dying on our behalf, because we, like Ahaz, sometimes choose our own path. We needed a way back to God and the power to rise out of the choices that we make that take us away from truth and goodness and eternity. So may our faith increase this morning because of the story and because of what the Savior has done. And may we as God's people know with certainty that we have a Savior who is tenacious and diligent so that we would fully know what love is. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.